All right. Yes, we are in our series, Open Mic Continuing, but it's a little different. We're back from the longest two-week break, right, in the history of ever. Uh, but I, I can't tell you how excited. It feels better than I thought it would. Uh, so just a couple of uh, things before I even get going, because we've been talking about how we're going to get this thing uh, you know, my, what, what are we going to preach on? What are we going to do? We want it to be celebratory. Um, a couple of things. First of all, I just want to say thanks again. Uh, we've had a lot of steps forward, even as it may not feel like it. In fact, even with finding our place of our own leaps and bounds forward through this process that uh, you'll find out in the next few months that, hey, we've made a lot of progress. The same for you just serving and showing up and fighting through fear and fighting through uncertainty. All of these things, I just can't say enough. I do have a favor, a challenge for somebody. Uh, one of the things that you notice out there, we had party hats on our little mission display. One of the things when we left, we had Ashley overseeing our mission display every single week. Ashley has actually come on to part-time staff during this time and is now overseeing our children's and our connect groups, doing a great job there. And so that table over there is kind of barren right now. I brought two boxes up here, and I want to challenge somebody that's more creative than I am to take those boxes home and just decorate them. And we're going to have a place over here. We've got, we have two uh, mission partners, local mission partners that we have started uh, um, in, the, in the last uh, 15 months. Uh, the Wiley Christian Care Center, we're going to have a place where every single week we can co collect toiletries and stuff for them. That's one of the things they're lacking. And then also the ISD, we want to help uh, Cooper Junior High. I've met the new principal here. I'm excited about that. And so we're going to have a box also that is going to do school supplies for Wiley ISD. They've listed out all the things they need. So every single way, um, week we're going to have an opportunity to be at least giving in a small way also and providing for them. So just a lot of little things that I want to uh, us to begin setting our so before we leave, somebody, I don't care who it is, take those boxes and just make them prettier when they come back next week and just set them over there, okay? Challenge accepted by someone? <laughs> All right, I know somebody's going to do it. All right, I see Lisa back there. Man, okay, y'all need to hear my sermon. I'm glad. I'm ready for this because here, I don't know if y'all have noticed, but over the last 15 months, I've seen a lot of bad ideas. Anybody seen any bad ideas floating around? Now, this challenge right now is we were 15 months, we had this little Petri dish, we had this little laboratory. What would happen if we cut all of our relationships and we just had a little device we stuck in our pocket that could just zoom ideas straight to us? And they could be good ideas, bad ideas. They can just speak right into us. And it's created what I think is probably the worst situation we could think of when it comes to bad ideas. Okay? Now... Just to let you kind of, for some of you that are younger than me, which is a lot of you now, there's always been bad ideas, but they haven't just always been floating around. Now, the, the mother of conspiracy theories when I was growing up as a 10-year-old, 12-year-old boy was this. Elvis was alive. That was like the biggest one. Like, I would go, there was always this hope as a 10-year-old kid and a joke that, man, we might be at Denny's, and that might be, yeah, I think I see Elvis in the back. I think Elvis is in the back of the room. And that was, that was as, as bad as it got, okay? And now, to be sure, people still had bad ideas. There were still flat earthers back then, okay? There's just a big difference between a bad idea before the internet and now. Here's the difference. You would go up to somebody and say, hey, I think the earth is flat. And they would look at you, and they would go, hmm, okay. 
All right, and then they would kind of turn around and they would never spread that idea. And, and your bad ideas would get filtered by normal people, by common sense, by all of these things. And then we made this decision and we didn't do it intentionally, but we did it pretty intentionally. And, and we said, what if we got rid of the filter and we just zoomed all the bad ideas into our, into our minds and then we created confusion and you can't tell the good ideas from the bad ideas. And so... We have a lot of people that believe the earth is flat, okay? And now we've got the new one, thanks to uh, a, a new movie, the, the King Kong movie, that the earth is hollow. You heard that one. And there's actually people online that think the earth is hollow, full of monsters. That's a real thing. My favorite one is the idea that the Illuminati or the world is run by lizard people, shape-shifting lizard people, and that Hillary Clinton was their leader for a while. George Bush was a shape-shifting lizard also. And this is a real idea that some people truly believe because no one can look at them and be like, I think you're crazy. I think that's wrong. Bad ideas now go everywhere. Some of us remember a time when, when we know these are supposed to get filtered out. We're not just supposed to have these. But what's happened is now these bad ideas aren't just these conspiracy theories. Bad ideas have become abstract ideas and have become reality for some people. Beliefs that we think are true. And, and, and one example is that truth is relative. And this is an idea now that we hear all the time. You can live your truth and my truth. This is a bad idea and it's not true. What we mean is you have your experience and my experience, but we, we mask it in this world word truth, and all of a sudden truth doesn't have meaning. And I, and I can actually do harm to you if I live out my truth, when in reality I'm not living a truth, I'm living out an experience. And it could be. This is a horrible idea that some of us have just filtered into our language, and we may not even actively use it, but by using the language we're letting this bad idea just filter around us. Another one I thought about, gender doesn't exist, okay? This is a pretty, pretty quick slide, okay? It went from a few years ago where there were two genders to then it became that gender became fluid. And now the current idea, understand, is that gender does not exist. This is a bad idea. This leads to bad places. And I'm not talking from a spiritual, I'm not even into the Bible yet. I'm just talking about ideas. If you think that gender is fluid, go to a, a, a pet store and, and ask for a, a gender neutral puppy, okay? And they're going to look at you as if you're, it is a bad idea and it leads to even worse places. One of the, the worst ideas, and we're getting to what I think is the worst idea. One of the bad, bad ideas that we have seen and again, I'm not speaking right now theologically. I'm just taking as far as philosophically bad ideas is the idea of critical race theory or the idea that y'all are like, man, I thought we were celebrating and we're getting it. But listen, listen, listen. Just follow me. The idea that, that every idea, every relationship should be judged based on power dynamics and that in some relationships you're oppressed, some relationships you're the oppressor. Understand that this is an idea that's prevalent. And understand that the only way to solve this is to deconstruct the entire system. And the problem with this is whoever reconstructs the system becomes what? The oppressor. It is a self-defeating idea. It has no practical use and it does not work. But yet this is an idea that is not only considered by many to be truth, it is pervading life. But let me tell you what I think is the worst idea. The most dangerous, destructive, the worst idea. And the bad thing about this is I've seen this in the church as much as outside the church. And I want to focus on inside the church today. What I believe is the worst idea. 
the worst thing you can believe that is just out there as truth today. Y'all ready? You should just be a good person. That to me is the most dangerous idea that we face in our world today. Now, to be clear, if that's just one piece of the puzzle, that can be a useful piece. But right now, we live in a place where all we have to do in life, hey, let's just be a good person. All God wants from me is to be a good person. We may even change the language. All God wants is us to love, just to love one another. All we want is to, that's, it's, all life is about is just, just love one another. And this idea has pervaded every single thing. Let's just be good. You know, Jesus was once asked one of the most important questions that you can be, that you could ask Jesus, the one that all of us probably should ask. Somebody came up to Jesus and said, hey, good teacher, how do I go to heaven? How do I live in eternity forever with God? And you know what Jesus' initial response was? Why do you call me good? You keep using that word good. Why do you use that word good? Why do you call me good? Before he even gets to the most important question, the thing this guy thought was the most important, Jesus wanted to clarify, you're using that word, as Inigo Monte would say, you keep using that word, it wasn't him, it was the other guy. I don't think it means what you think it means. You keep using that word good. Butchered cliches is what you get here, you know that, right? I hear this all the time, just be a good person. I had a conversation with a pastor of a church here locally. And he said, you know what, we were having a conversation with, about all the things the church faces, all these big issues that we're dealing with. And what he said was, listen, I just think we've got to look through everything through the lens of love. And no matter where people are, everybody's on a journey, we just got to walk with them wherever they're going. And I just stopped him and I pushed back on that. And in fact, I said, hey, I, I would be careful with that lens of love. In fact, we might need to, to put that lens of love away. I actually said, we might want to smash that lens of love in the church a little bit. Because listen to me, I don't want to walk with you everywhere that you're going. Some of us are not walking where we need to be going. Some of us need to be going in a different path. And if there's ever going to be an impact in the church, if this church is ever going to be a place where people look and say, you know what, I, I don't just like it. I don't just want it. I need that. We've got to be a church that says, listen, we will not walk with you everywhere, but we will invite you to walk a path that will lead you away from the brokenness of this world. We will invite you to walk a place that, that, that will lead you, and it may be hard for a while, we will lead you down a path that will eventually restore everything that's been broken in this world, that will eventually redeem you and take you to a place where the weights that are being put on us and the uncertainty and all these things can be lifted off you. But sometimes we're just walking with people and we see these huge weights, and we're just trying to love them straight to destruction. Today, I want to tell you about the single value that is better than goodness. It is better than love. It is better than justice. It is better than anything. In fact, you can't have any of those things without this value. And if we as a church will get this right, I'm telling you, people will quit asking about politics and just say, hey, I want that. So today we're going to be in the Old Testament. We're going to go back to the year 740 B.C. We're going to go to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet, and he has this vision of God. And we see in, this, in Isaiah chapter 6, we see this for, for one of the clearest ways in which God transforms a life and can transform a world. It says this, 
In that year, the king Uzziah, that's 740, died. And the Lord, and I saw the Lord. He has this vision. It might have been physical. It might have been a, a vision. It was probably just a vision. I saw the Lord upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So he's in the temple. That means Isaiah is, is there seeking God. He wants to know truth. He wants to know where God is going, so he's gone to the temple. That's where you would go. So, so his heart is, I want to see God. We live in a culture right now where everybody thinks and everybody says, you know what, I love God. God just wants us to love. God just wants us to be nice to everyone and just be a good person. That's what we, we need. Hey, we're all godly, okay? We're all seeking our own truth, okay? But Isaiah goes to the temple, he goes to the one place where he knows it's going to exist, and he sees, sees God on a throne, and then he sees seraphim, which we can think of as angels, kind of, but these are not just angels like people, okay? These are winged creatures. Each had six wings. Why do you need six wings? Okay, I'm going to turn into two-year-old Joel with an inquisitive mind for a second, okay? Two wings to cover his eyes, his face. Now, why do you do this? Why didn't God just give him hands? I don't know. Quit asking questions, okay? He gave him wings, okay? I guess he needed to, to, to cover everything. But understand, when Moses approaches God, God says, be careful. And, and he says, God, show me your glory. God says, no one can look on my face and live. So there's a protection here. Why did God give him eyes? I don't know. Quit asking questions, okay? He gave him eyes, okay? Now, he's in the presence. They cover his, his face. The wings cover the face of the seraphim so that they are not consumed by the glory of God. And then the other wings cover, uh, uh, it, it's interesting, cover the feet. Why the feet? Because there's this idea, and, and the word I want to teach you is profane. Is that any time that we take something that is holy and we make it common, that we profane that. And in uh, Israel, they would have altars and they would um, set, make sacrifices and the priests would have to go up these altars. And uh, John and uh, Williams and I actually went on one of these altars. What they would do is they would make ramps so that the, the priests could shuffle their feet because it was considered profaning God to show the bottom of your feet to God when you're entering that altar. And so here they have feet, they have shoes basically, these wings, just to cover their feet, so that they can enter into the presence of God, they can be in and not profane God. It is that important. But here's what I want you to see. They called to one another, and they're going to use a word three times. Now, in the Bible, if you use the word once, that means you want to use that word. If you use it twice, that means very. The, the word very in Hebrew doesn't exist. So if you want to say good, you'd say good, good. If you're uh, uh, from Dallas, and you listen to the ticket, it's very ribby pulse when you talk Hebrew, okay? No one, okay, that's what I thought. Okay, so anyway, he says it three times, okay? Three times he's going to use this word, and, and they are going to call out one attribute of God, and they're not going to be singing, good, 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 God, you are good, good, good. They're not going to be saying, God, you are all powerful, you are all powerful, you are all powerful. They're not going to say, you are the bringer of justice, ju justice, justice. They're not saying that. They're not even saying, God, you are love, love, love. That is who you are. They sing one attribute that without this attribute, you cannot have any attributes. They say, holy, holy, holy. If you want to know what the most important attribute that anyone can, can, can pursue. It is holiness. God is above all holy. This word holy means set apart. He is distinct. He is different than everything you know. 
Everything you look at, you try to figure out, is this good or bad? Is that right or wrong? God is the giver of right or wrong. He is different than you. He doesn't just discern. He decides. When we talk about being holy, we mean a creator who doesn't just create the creation. He creates the ideas. He creates right or wrong. He creates meaning in your life. You do not have meaning that's going to last beyond whatever activity you're doing. If there is no God that has handed it to you, he is distinct. There is nothing else like God in this world. Nothing else. And we've got to understand this. When they call out holy, 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 they mean because God is going to just tell you how to love. He's going, you, you can't have love unless you love the way God has loved because he defined it. He gave us the word. He gave us the attribute. When we say God is holy, we mean he is so different than anything we can experience. You cannot get him any other place other than his presence. God is distinct. We live in a world, and I'm going to tell you this, because it's infiltrated the church, it's infiltrated some of our hearts. We live in a culture that hates a holy God. And we first and foremost, if we're going to get out of this conundrum, this challenge of where we are in this world, we have to get back to the fact that, first of all, our life is not neutral. If we're silent, our life is not neutral. It, 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 we are profaning a holy God by the way we're responding to some of the things we see in this world. Let me tell you how. And I see this on both sides. This isn't a political thing. In fact, anytime I preach a message and I see one side kind of cheering, comfortable with it, I'm thinking to myself, oh, I need to swing a little more because we need to go back the other way. Because none of us in here should be comfortable if we're taking sides on a, pol on a political side or, or, or on a moral issue. We're profaning when we demand our rights, whether they're constitutional rights or whether they're rights that we just think, hey, it's my right, I can do what I want. Just entering into the discussion, the discussion of, hey, I'm going to demand my rights or I'm going to declare my rights and I'm going to start with what I want. I'm going to start with my own identity. That's above all else. We're profaning. We're hating the name of God when we even enter into a discussion. You know, one of the absolute most devastating things I've seen is the rise of, our, of ourselves and our identity. And I'm going to use an example, but it's not even the example I want. It's the meaning behind it. But right now, we identify ourselves by our sexual um, identity. That is, that is so much that people now think that unless you can declare your sexual identity out loud, then you're not living your truth. And I hear this language, and this is what I've heard people say, and it breaks my heart when I hear this. I've heard people say, you know what? I was in the closet. I came out of the closet. I was able to declare, this is who I am. This is my sexual identity. And before that, I was living a lie. And it breaks my heart to have the thought that somebody who struggled with their sexuality, struggled with their identity of who they are sexually, thinks that they were living a lie simply because they couldn't declare or couldn't understand or did not know yet who they were sexually. That, that one aspect of their life was their identity. This is a, a horrible idea when we start with ourselves and say, you know what, if we, if we ever enter into the discussion and we get mad at people or whatever, when we enter in as a church with anything other than God is holy. God is holy, and I'm not going to start with myself on the solution. I'm going to look to a holy God that we cannot start with demanding our rights, demanding ourselves that we get heard, that our opinion gets heard, that we get offended if you don't believe what we believe. We cannot start with ourselves. Christian faith was built on denying ourselves 
and declaring the holiness of God, but we are entering into the discussions. God creates love, good, justice. That's what it means that he's holy. And if we're going to try to pursue, pursue those things without first declaring, let's get something straight. Inside the church, God is holy. God is distinct. He is the giver of all these things. And before you hear me talk about what is good, let me first declare God is holy. Let's see what he says is good. Let's see what he says I should do. The world needs a church who takes the holiness of God with reverence, with power, and starts there with everything instead of going with every idea that flows our way. Hey, there's Elvis in the back. No one left, right? Second thing I want you to see is the reaction. Where you're going to see the response to God is everything about what is true. And this is going to condemn us as much in the church because look at the reaction of Isaiah. He's in the presence of the holy God. He's in the presence of the creator of the world. Look at what he says. The foundations of the threshold shook and the voice of him who called. The house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me. He did not say, oh, God's here. I'm going to get a selfie. Jesus is my homeboy. He did not profane the name of God and say, hey, God is common. God is like me. God, God, hey, let's, uh, this is awesome. I'm with God. Instead, he was immediately struck by how holy God was and how unholy he was. And this is a guy pursuing God who had gone into the temple, God, who was seeking to, to do what God wants for his life. There's a philosopher, a Christian philosopher, Thomas Bernard, lived 100 years ago. Our sense of sin is in direct proportion to our nearness to God. We feel our sin in direct proportion to how close we are to God. He says, woe is me, I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. How many of us, when we think about coming to church or we think about our time in the morning with God, are broken by our, our sense of sin and rebellion when we think about the holiness of God. One of the things I think convicts, convicts us, and me included in this, is that we've become so self-righteous of telling people where they're wrong that none of us has our hearts broken by what we have done against a holy God. And I want to just tell you that um, it's Independence Day, so I wanted to theme this. So there's a, a, one of my quotes that strikes me is that sin is man's declaration of independence from God. Sin is our declaration of independence from God. You see, we think about sin as a mistake. The other day I was playing uh, basketball, pool basketball with uh, my son, and any time the ball goes to the edge, my dog will come and try to bite it. And it's kind of helpful because my dog will actually knock the ball back into the pool, which is good when you're a bad shot. Now, I put my hand too close to the edge, and my dog bit me. I immediately yelled, and my, 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 I thought my finger was broken. It's bending now, which is a good sign. My dog immediately bites me and then runs and hides. Now, here's my yell. Here's my, my scream, and my dog goes and hides because my dog made a mistake. It was just a mistake. She didn't mean to. It was an accident. I kicked that dog. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, it was an accident. I, didn't, I just said, hey. Hey, I petted the dog. I said, okay, it's okay. It was a mistake. You see, some of us, when we think about sin, hey, it's just a mistake. It's when we make a mistake. We break a rule. It's an accident. It's not a big deal. It's an accident. When God talks about sin in the Bible, he goes to extreme lengths to make sure we understand we're not talking about accidents. 
what he's talking about is rebellion. In fact, there's this whole story in the book of Hosea where he goes and he tells, hey, I want you to be a prophet. And Hosea's like, a prophet? That sounds like a great job, right? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and I want you to marry a prostitute and she is never going to be faithful to you. And every time you have a child or whatever, you're going to always have to wonder, did she, is is that yours or is that someone else? And you're going to have a broken family. And every time you long for your wife, she is going to run from you and she is going to sin against you in heinous ways. Thanks, God, if you're Hosea. Thanks a lot, God. I appreciate that. In fact, if you want to talk about sin, we think about, well, sin is just breaking a list. We say relationship over rules. Let me tell you, God did give us some rules. He gave us the Ten Commandments as an example, but he's not mad because you accidentally broke a Ten Commandments. You broke a rule. He's mad because a relationship was broken when you broke that rule. Let's take the Sabbath. That's one. God says, I'm going to give you the Sabbath. He gave it even before the law, but then he says, here's a, here's a rule. If you want to know that I'm your God, follow this Sabbath. And that Sabbath is a day where you do nothing. And you don't worry about anything. And you just know, if you need bread, I'll bring you bread. If you need, if you need forgiveness, I'll bring you for whatever you need. If you need to, um, uh, food in your mouth, I'm going to bring you food in your mouth. I will take care of you. And you just take one day to do nothing and just trust me. Just to see that I'll do what I said. Just to see my goodness, my provision. But yet we get busy and we have a hard six days and we didn't think about it in the, in, in, in the seventh day. Six, and so we just work through it. And in our mind, what we're saying is, you know what, God? I got so much to do. I just need to, I, I, I trust you, but I, but I trust you and me together. That's what I'm saying. I need me, God. I need me. I need me to get in here. When you think about sin, this is how we should think about it. If you're married, I want you to think about your spouse. If you're uh, single, I want you to think maybe about your parents, the relationship you grew up with, or maybe that you're sitting in um, on your best friend and their marriage, whatever you want to think. But I want you to think as a spouse, you wait up all night and you're waiting for your husband maybe to come home and he never comes home. Your husband comes in the door the next day with a smile on his face and you're like, honey, I was, I was so worried. Where were you? Are you okay? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm fine. I, in fact, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I was on my way home from work yesterday, and I knew you were cooking, but I, I, man, I decided to get me some Chick-fil-A. I'm going to get me some, some food. So I got me some food, and then you'll never believe this. My girlfriend from high school called, and she sent a picture because phone just lets bad ideas come straight to me. So she sent a picture, and she looked phenomenal. So you know what I did? I met her. I went, and I stayed the night with her, and we had a blast and in your brokenheartedness, what are you talking about? What about us? What about the 20 years? And you call your girlfriend or you talk to your kids, and your, your kids, your girlfriend says, you need to get over it. Why are you always trying to squash his fun? Why are you always trying to, he just needed to blow off some steam. He just needed, you know, it was just a little mistake, maybe a, a lack of judgment. What are you so upset about? There's an unfaithfulness. There's a, a rebellion that has occurred And it wasn't a mistake. We think about our sin lightly because we don't have the holiness of God in front of us. But I want to tell you, if we're ever going to see this world fixed, you've got to first of all know that God is holy. He is distinct. There's nothing like him. And we've got to start with him. And second of all, we've got to understand we are not just good people making bad mistakes. We have rebelled against a holy God and been unfaithful to him. And there is, if you've ever been through the pain of a relationship that's been torn apart, It is more than just, hey, I'm going to do the to-do list tomorrow. I'll be back in her good graces. She'll be fine. I'll just clean. I'll mow the yard tomorrow. She'll forgive me about that night. It's not how it works. You can't can't holy your way out of unholiness. Isaiah feels this weight of his sinfulness. 
And he's broken and he can't walk and there's no direction he could walk. There's no one coming alive and say, hey, let's just walk with your sinfulness and I'll just be your buddy while you walk and carry that huge load. But look what happens next. Again, the reaction is always important. Then one of the seraphim flew to me and having his hand a burning coal that he had taken the tongues from the altar. Now I want to make sure you understand If you or I in this time were to walk into the temple and start touching things, we would profane it. We would make the unholy would make the holy unholy. We would dirty it. We our sin would cover that. We would it would make it filthy. And God wouldn't use what we had profaned. But something unusual happens. The seraphim, I guess, with I guess he has hands. I don't know because he's got six wings. He he somehow gets maybe he's using his eyes. I don't know. Two year old Joel's got to get over it. He takes a hot coal and he touches the mouth of Isaiah. And he says, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. And we see a glimpse of what's to come. That instead of trying to be holy enough for God and somehow saying my unfaithfulness has gone away because I am holy and I'm going to be holy and I'm going to do right things. Instead, the holy touches him and it makes it clean. And for one of the few instances we see, rather than somebody having to avoid touching something because they don't want to make it dirty, the holy touches them and makes them holy. This is a powerful idea. There is no other way Isaiah could have been made clean His sins were forgiven because the person he had sinned against touched him and made him holy, gave him righteousness. That word atoned for covered all of his unfaithfulness, all of his rebellion. Matthew 28, there's, or Matthew 8, uh, there's this story of Jesus walking and a leper comes up to him. And, and Jesus is a rabbi. And if a rabbi touches a leper, what happens? The rabbi becomes unclean. He has to separate himself. He can't go into the temple. He can't. And so rabbis, this is why in the, um, in the story of the Good Samaritan, the rabbi goes to the other side. It's not because he necessarily hates the guy. It's because he's got duties. He, he can't be unclean because people need him to be clean when he goes into the temple. So he goes to the other side. And Jesus is walking. And so it would have been kind of understandable if Jesus is going to remain clean remain holy, he is going to have to go around this leper. But listen to what he does. Behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched him. He touched the unholy. And he said, I will be clean. And the holy made the unholy clean. If you want to know the solution and the weight of this sin, It doesn't come by you trying to touch holy, by you trying to, to be good enough and do the list. It becomes from the one you've sinned against restoring this relationship and having holy touch you. And that's exactly what Jesus has done for us. And so look what happens when Isaiah is touched by holy. It says, I heard a voice, this is verse 8, I heard a voice saying, from the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And here's this man who at first was fearful and then he felt the weight of his sin and now all he wants to do is be a part of what this holy God is doing. He's had this weight taken off of him. He's felt the forgiveness of God. He's seen, I can be holy not because of who I am but because who he is. Lord, I, he says, here I am, send me. And God says, go to the people. And Israel at the time of Isaiah was kind of in a, in a downward spiral, totally like anything you could imagine, right? 
They thought that they were better than God. They were profaning God left and right. And and this is the message that God gives. I'll just give you a portion. Go to the people and say, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and their blind their eyes, lest they will see with their eyes, they will hear with their ears and understand with their hearts. He gives them a hard message. He says, proclaim my holiness to a culture and people who don't want to hear it. But he say, you need to do this until it is uninhabited. You do not stop proclaiming the, the holiness of God and the desire for God to touch you and redeem you. Do not stop proclaiming this until there is nobody left to proclaim it to. Isaiah, I'm sending you out so that you can not live your truths, not so that you can go and proclaim who you are. I want you to go and proclaim my holiness and invite people to be touched by God, there's no better picture of the church to me. If you want to know how this church is going to change lives, it's because we see the holiness of God and it draws us to our knees, first of all, with our own sin, not with condemnation of other people, but our own sin. We have been unfaithful to God in our hearts. We have rebelled, and instead of us fixing it, he touched us through the blood of Jesus Christ, through the death of Jesus Christ, and our faith in him. What could our reaction be except for I will serve? Of course, send me. Of course, I'll color your box, Joel. Of course. Now everybody's going to be like, I got it. I got the box, Joel. Got it. Listen, this is what I want you to hear. I think I did a disservice. I think culture, church culture, one of the, I, I don't even have time, y'all. Church culture in the United States has been very destructive over the last 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. In this church, one of, the, one of the words that I have, have realized is not good is just the idea of volunteers. You know, one of the things we saw over 15 years is, or over 15 months of not meeting is, the volunteer roles went away. And in our minds, some of us said, hey, I don't have to serve for 15 months. In fact, some of us came back today, oh, serving, what? Understand. And if you did that, you're forgiven, okay? You served, thank you. But understand There were opportunities like none other during the last 15 months to be a servant. And they had nothing to do with a volunteer role. And in fact, if you come to this church and you think, I'm off today, you're missing the heart of God. Jesus said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life for ransom. So listen to me. This has been a hard week for me. I'm not going to lie. This has been one of the hardest weeks I've ever had. But you know what? On Wednesday at my connect group, people prayed for me. And let's be honest, no one at 6.30 on a Wednesday says, group tonight, okay? Y'all are silent because I know in your mind you're thinking, if it's been a long week, I don't know if I want to go see these people. I just, I don't know. But you show up. And you show up. And if you show up with your eyes open of, listen, I'm not going for me. I don't want to be here, but somebody might need me. I'm going to go with the eyes of a servant because God did something for me that I could not do. He has forgiven me in a way I could not be forgiven. So you show up and you pray for me and you pray for my family and you pray for this church and it serves me in a way that ministers in such a powerful way. You show up and, and to church this morning and you say, you know what, I wasn't making coffee or I wasn't you know, out there with my party hat on when I walked in the door, but I'm a servant, I'm here, I'm available. And you come in with your eyes open, not just what is God going to say to me, but where am I going to serve God even among the people here? 
and your hearts are, are turned to the fact that wherever I'm supposed to go, God, you send me. I'll be there because I know what you did for me. You know, when people look inside the church, what they don't see, they see a lot of political right or political left. They see a lot of people demanding, hey, you need to stand up for our rights, this and that. But they don't see a lot of people down on their knees declaring the holiness of God and the sinfulness and just our utter thankfulness at our forgiveness of this weight being lifted off. And the people saying, you know what? God has done so much for me that I will go out and I will serve weather. If it, I will open my eyes. If I see somebody stuck on the side of the road, even if, even if I got somewhere to be, I will go and I will serve because I am a servant. Who else could I be? I believe with all my heart, and I've said this for 15 months and I don't feel like anyone's hearing, but there is a third way. It's not a political way. It's not even right or wrong. It is the holiness of God and declaring above all things, I want to lose myself in that. I see a lot of people offering answers to things, but I don't see a lot of people, especially inside the church, asking the question, does this grieve God? Or how can I be even more holy? We get a political answer and we give our talking points and instead of of thinking it and just saying, who am I in Christ? We say whatever we heard on the radio or whatever media you consumed it on. It's not filtered through the word of God and the holiness of God. We live in in a culture that has Pride Month, and I'm not even talking about the issue of holiness or of homosexuality. I just want you to hear just the, the name Pride and the idea that, listen, we're going to really see progress. We've got to declare our identity, ourselves. We've got to declare who we are. Pride is the ultimate rebellion against God. If we want to really, we should mourn. And again, it's not against one sin. It's against all sin. We should see that, we should see whether it's pride or whether it's somebody standing up for their second amendment rights and say, I'll die before. Listen, I want to be lost. My identity needs to fade into the background. Everything about me, I want to, Jesus says, you need to deny yourself and follow him. This is the way forward. This is the way out of the mess It's for Christians to quit demanding people listen to us and demanding that we get our rights and demanding that people see our identity. And instead, every time they see us, they see us giving up our rights, even giving up our lives if necessary to proclaim the holiness of God and a God who would love us so much, he would make us holy, even if it cost him son. The reason I can love, the reason I know something is good, the reason I think justice is a great thing is because there's a holy God who has commanded it. And if we will go back to that, and if people look inside this church and will see people on their knees humbly saying, God, I don't know right and wrong, but I'm going to put you out there. I'm going to seek you in all things, and I want holiness and your goodness, your righteousness, your justice to be known, not my own. This world will change. And it will start with people saying, I don't know if I even agree with their political beliefs, but I know I want whatever they have. We can love people right to their destruction. You can be good to somebody and walk with them right to their end. Or you can say, listen, I don't even know the way except for the fact Jesus said, I am the truth. I am the way. I am the life. Follow me as I follow him. That's what Paul said.
there is no better time to be a part of Connection Point Church together. There is no better time for us to get on our knees and say, God, we're so thankful we're back because we have a mission and we see it as clear as we've ever seen it. There is a broken world who is lost and confused, and we're not going to get confused trying to pick which side is right in this midst of this uncertainty. We're going to say, listen, there's a fog everywhere, and we know where the light is. Let's go find it. I'm going to invite the band up right now, and I'm going to close this in prayer in just a second, but here's my challenge to you. My hope for us is that you do not grow weary. You do not think, man, this message of holiness, people are not going to accept it. You go back to this story of Isaiah and you say, wow. God touched Isaiah and made him holy and gave him a hard mission. But as he followed it, he had no weight. He had no guilt, no condemnation because holiness had touched him. I'm telling you, when you are in Christ, there is no condemnation. There is no guilt. Your unfaithfulness is covered. You can go out with the joy of knowing how to tell somebody how I can get that weight off of you. Well, I can't do it, but I know a guy. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this message. I thank you so much for this church being back. I thank you so much for this opportunity we have to show a different way, to show that it is not unclear, that you are not as mysterious As some people think, you are not as elusive as some people think. You have revealed yourself to us. But instead, we have rebelled against you. Lord, bring us back to your holiness, your grandeur, your your awesomeness, your power. And most of all, your holiness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.